Good with this uh, oh, natural course. light. Some good natural yeah. light. Kenneth looks really good. Thanks, man. <laughs> well, welcome back to Liquid Gold, Mike. All right, where the rice is for beer and the sushi is supermarket sold. Welcome to a very special sushi samurai sake celebration. Right here. There won't be sushi, sorry. On Liquid Gold. Uh, this is amazing. It is, we're recording this on National Sake Day. These national holidays, I should point out, are ridiculous. But we just, we missed podcast day the other day. It's like some, somebody rubs a lamp and a genie pops out to say, it's rub a lamp day. <laughs> I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people keep up. It's tough out there. It's getting out of hand. I'll give you that. So we are going to sit in the serene gardens here of We Own This Town and drink some sake, talk about it, talk about rice, talk about some beer. Right here on Liquid Gold, my name's Mike Wolf, along with my co-host, Mr. Kenneth Deadman, as always by my side. How are you today? You're looking well in this autumnal natural light. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, spent a lot of time outside this week. Yeah. Highly caffeinated today, too. Right. We're We're ready to roll. Where fall never begins and summer never ends. Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> we own this town.net. Thanks to our producer, Michael Eads, all the amazing things that he is doing with We Own This Town. There was a Chris Gaines podcast you could go back and check out that is amazing. And the music episode recently, also a favorite of ours on We Own This Town. Today, what we're here to talk about, as I mentioned, we have the two sake masters of the South. I don't even, I'm not even joking when I say that, right? But we have Byron Stitham from Proper Sake. How are you, sir? All right, all right. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks thanks for for coming out, dude. That's dope. And (laughs) part of our sake round table, sake master, Kinsey Hunter from Green Pheasant. Yeah. Hey. Hello. Thanks so much for being here. We'll promise not to, uh, not to be too ridiculous. Four of in us our uh, in our lack of knowledge, and I think that's what's really cool today with this roundtable situation is we have two people who know so much about what we're going to talk about, and two people, the hosts, who know don't know that much about it at all. Not a whole uh, lot, we've been lot. drinking it for a long time. We've been making cocktails with it, but it's it's great to this is going to be fun today to kind of dive into this topic that we don't know a lot about. Some things we're not going to talk about today: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles introducing America to sake. Because I don't think an, they did. An argument could be made. No. I but think, I think you could really, if you dove into it down the sewer hole. Yeah. And I mean, if I may, today, let's just go into this with no regard for facts. Right. Um, I think that's yeah, important. Everybody be. knows I'm, Tom Cruise introduced North America to sake. <laughs> wow. Okay. I look forward to getting into that. Um, also, some other things we're not going to get into. Craft breweries collaborating with centuries-old monastery in Europe, monasteries in Europe for new bears with names like 500 Years a Stave. Because <laughs> I'm not sure that that is appropriate. And another thing that we just don't have time to get into, is this the end or the beginning of Kroger Fried Chicken? <laughs> have you noticed the change at the new Kroger in East Nashville? Like uh, the, there's not a lot of fried chicken to be had, but there's a fried, there's a chicken stand now off to the side. Mm-hmm. A lot of rotisserie. <laughs> a lot of rotisserie. Um, and I think it was a little known fact that that was probably some of the best fried chicken in the city. I don't know if you've ever had their fried huh. chicken straight out the fryer. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's yeah. amazing. I saw I saw it there the other day. I didn't grab it, but 
they're moving stuff around in there. They're, I don't think they finalized the the whole addition to that. I think they like put a program. fryer outside, and they were like, "We'll get it later when we remodel." <laughs> and then they were like, "Oh, somebody took the fryer." I don't know. Something happened, or it's a different fryer. But oh, I'm not happy about it. That's good to know. Yeah. Now I thought it'd be cool. We get into some. We hadn't done this in a while, and since we've got amazingly cultured individuals like yourselves, we <laughs> and a disregard for all facts. That's right. Um, we could get into some recent dining and drinking experiences. I was just in Atlanta for Chopper. We were doing a takeover at SOS in Decatur, which Decatur was amazing. I had never really been there, spent much time there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved that area. That was awesome. But we went to see Brian Baxter, new CDC, at Cold Beer nice. and had like our best meal of the year. He's crushing it there. Uh, the cocktails by Mercedes are are super dynamic She's and amazing. All sorts of ferments and koji misos. It's wacky. It's right. Incredible. Yeah. Bring and it full circle. She's, she's messing around with some of your techniques, which is really cool. Hold but, up. But You've been there already? I have. Damn it. He's in Atlanta. He is. I'm in Atlanta. He's, okay. he's taking that, over the Atlanta market well, by storm. You know, <laughs> That's great. One, one shop at a time. I think we're up to two, maybe three. Don't be modest. <laughs> That's anyway, closer to 10 than zero. I was going to go. I got an Airbnb right next to cold beer so that I could just go there over and over. So I got to taste a bunch of stuff. That's great. It's incredible. Yeah. Baxter's a genius. Yeah. Yeah. I think I called him the Wizard of Wings, <laughs> the Czar of Tartar, yeah. and mm, the yeah. Liberace of lamb ribs. Because he's doing this lamb ribs thing there, a la Owensboro, Kentucky, mutton yeah. kind of thing, that... And that's the great thing about Baxter. He's not only just like a flavor master and will just bowl you over with different levels of flavor. There's like always like a little story underneath things, which is really cool. So shout out to Brian Baxter. That was amazing. The cocktails were amazing. We went to Kimball House, uh, a mainstay and just uh, an incredible place and had some amazing absinthe and absinthe drinks. Mm-hmm. Absinthe. Kenneth, you've been out and about lately. What's uh, What's been inspiring uh, to you lately? Uh, well... I've been working a lot, but I did go to Kenzie's old stomping grounds recently. Well, I go I go to Two Ten Jack probably like three times a month. That's that's on the rag. But mm-hmm. on this particular Saturday night that I went, which is a rare night to be off, but um, yeah, I went in straight at like prime time, like the time that you're not supposed to be going to a restaurant <laughs> on a mm-hmm. Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm gonna walk in at seven o'clock. It was Can like, I get a table? It was like seven forty-five. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the bar was full. I was hoping, you know, to roll the dice and sit at the bar. But um, I ended up at a table and filled up on Brussels. And then this couple started fighting right next to me. So I stuck around. <laughs> oh, I, oh God. The, I know you loved that. I know you were just I stuck like, around for the finale. It was great. Like, I ended up eating way more than I should. I just kept on ordering food, like, like a la carte, too. Like, I was just like, I didn't. You were renting that table. I was committed. Devilish I was committed grin. to yeah. I was just committed to like eavesdropping and watching it all go down. And it oh, it freaking it delivered. It delivered. <laughs> I don't know how many times they got up and went to the bathroom, like each of them individually, and then came back, started arguing again. The next one goes to the bathroom. I wonder if on that bathroom trip <sighs> they're looking for ammunition too. They're like, okay, I need to get my thoughts straight. I can reset, and then they come back to That's the totally table and they're what like, they were doing. you know what I didn't think of <laughs> last year. Yeah, this is how it went down. Maybe some it was people like, just get so mad they could they could piss, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, I could keep going, but I gotta use a toilet now. You know, man. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> how about how, uh, anything else? Uh, um, oh yeah, Parsons Chicken and Fish right around the corner. That was uh, after our last episode. We had we went over there. 
had some amazing chicken and yeah. the sides there. Don't sleep on the sides. I thought yeah. the mac and cheese mac was, and the mac potatoes. Was a highlight. Amazing. Yeah, that place is great. Some great bartenders over there as well. Your friend. Uh, Christy Brooks. Yeah. yeah. She was awesome. She really took care of us. Yeah, she's a character, huh? Yeah, she's a great bartender. Byron, how about you, man? You travel all over the South. You're down in Atlanta. You're in New Orleans now, I believe. Right You're in New that Orleans. market. You're taking uh, over various markets. Slowly. Like a, so like a true tycoon. A real snail's pace, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Any excuse to go to Atlanta... Um, actually, I was thinking about driving down there after this because I got to take some stuff down there. Probably go to Cold Beer again. Oh, cool! Yeah. Outside of that, um, ate at Peninsula this weekend, which is always a treat. Oh God, my favorite place. That. Yeah. And we're actually doing a special sake dinner with them on Monday. Oh, killer! Yeah, like twelve courses, shitload of weird sakes. I'm sure Craig's gonna mix up something weird. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be awesome. That's cool. He does weird well in the best way. Whoa! Yeah, when he was on this show. It got weird. <laughs> it got weird. And we were, he's a fun we hung out for four hours. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Kins, anything uh, inspiring you of late? Haven't been going out a lot lately. I went to 210 Jack on Saturday. And um, fr- <laughs> Friday night, I actually uh, went with a couple of friends to Bob's Steakhouse uh, in the Omni Hotel. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the fun thing about Bob's, is that every plate, like every entree that you order, comes with an enormous glazed carrot. I know about the carrot, yeah. yes. It's rather large. It's com- It's like, it's funny. Yeah. And it's kind of a surprise. They don't really tell you that you're going to get this carrot, and then it comes on every plate, and it's it's like eight inches long. And like GMO glazed. carrot garnish. It's like a cinnamon, yeah. It's very weird. Yeah, I agree. It's, like, it's roasted. Is it good? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's a sweet carrot on like, you know... <laughs> savory plate of meat and potatoes it's a nice compliment and also <laughs> a real treat when you get it because you don't know it's coming yeah unless you've been to bob's well, i didn't well, realize i had a trip to bob's in my well yeah right. if, I go, but if, I, still... if i go there i'm gonna be expecting it now right <laughs> yeah or do yeah. they switch it up they don't switch it up it's their thing do they still have the jar of pickles on the table they do that's kind of honor system or is it free it's free. that i didn't that yeah. i couldn't tell i was like i'll have a few and just kind of see how it goes yeah, Maybe look at the free. itemized receipt Yeah, later. I don't want to get a bill for this. These <laughs> right. pickles aren't that good. Right. You're in a hotel, so you're like, <laughs> if I touch anything, I'm paying for it. <laughs> How do you get the pickle out if it's a communal pickle it's jar? Got, it's got tongs. Little tongs. Got little tongs. Okay. Also, it's not not sketchy. <laughs> 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 yeah. Also on the honor system that people aren't using their hands. A lot of honor system going on with that. <laughs> so, Kins, you brought something beautiful here in our glass. We're, we're tasting some sake right now. And there was a little bit of mystery to it because you were in Japan when you bought this bottle. Yep. And um, I was just in a small sake shop and they didn't speak English and I don't speak Japanese very well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know sake words. Mm -hmm. So I would say those and then she would point at things. And so I ended up just buying um, this because it had a really cool label. So. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes. how I buy like wine and stuff. Sometimes sometimes that's enough. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Kenneth and I could could sit here and bullshit as we do about what's in our glass. I mean, to me, it's a little dry. It's really delicate, like a lot of really nice sakes. Um, but to you, since you are the sake samurai psalm of Tennessee, what what's jumping out to you about this? Um, it's cool. It has like an earth, uh, like it's very it's got an earthy vibe, a little effervescence mm-hmm. too. I love that um, effervescence. It's really nice. But it's cool. I think it's dry, but it's got like a floral vibe. 
It's got mm-hmm. a little texture too. I mean, if it is in fact a Ginjo, it's got some color, which is right. indicative of not being too heavily filtered or mm-hmm. fined. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that reason, you can tell it's definitely got some mouthfeel, which mm-hmm. is cool because you start to get in to these more polished sakes and they typically get filtered to hell mm-hmm. and or diluted. So mm-hmm. this is cool. Now, when you say Ginjo, I know there's these different classifications for sake. Can you tell us a little bit about that system? Yeah. And how that could kind of help people that are looking for a certain type of sake. There's no hard and fast rule for anything I've found. But with polishing rate of the rice, basically you're milling away certain percentages um, to get down to your qualifiers like Daigenjo, Genjo, Jumai. So the further you mill it, typically the more subtle the sake, the more refined and more aromatic the palate. I guess if you're looking for rules, Daigenjos are also going to be more expensive, which... Typically, it's just a byproduct of the fact that it takes more rice. It's a longer process. Um, usually, they have to be brewed in smaller batches. That said, there's not a lot of speculation in sake like there is in wine or whiskey, maybe, where you're, you're really just paying for the actual cost of goods that went into the bottle. Mm. Um, I assume as Americans start to drink more sake, that'll change because, you know, we commoditize everything. Yeah. But um, for now, if you're looking for a sake on the more subtle side... Daiginjo, they're going to be crisp, they're going to be clean. Um, the further you go back the other direction, you're going to get more texture, more flavor, perhaps a little more complexity, more rice flavor. Yeah, and so a few things I read about sake uh, preparing for this was the, the the market in Japan seems to be declining. They're, they're drinking less and less sake. But then you have other areas of the world, and especially... Uh, the United States, they're drinking way more sake than they were, say, 10 years ago, and a ton more than they were 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. What What do you think, having, having because you both have been to, to Japan, what do you see about any kind of change in both sake drinking culture and drinking culture in, in general in Japan? Well, there's definitely a declining age of population. Yeah. So people are dying. They're not replacing them with younger humans, mm-hmm. um, which is the fall of most societies. Mm-hmm. Um, but specifically, um, there are less youth interested in sake. And outside of that, the government has made it relatively difficult to start kind of grassroots sake operations. So unlike with craft beer, they're not really issuing licenses. Taxation's really difficult um, if you want to start a brewery. Yeah, you can't really home... like. I think it's illegal to even home Yeah, you can't, you can't make sake at home. Yeah. It's been illegal for a while, I believe. Yeah. That's insane. It really is. And I mean, it, to the total detriment of the industry. Um, and I think they're starting to realize that there's been some legislation slowly moving through the process. Um, and they did it with craft beer recently, so you're starting to see Japanese craft beer. Mm-hmm. I assume the same thing will happen. Um, it's probably I, happening on an underground level, like yeah. in garages yeah. below the street or I don't know. At, I mean, outside of that, I think the, the youth, too, are becoming very interested in Western products. So, you know. French wines and, and whiskey and certainly craft beer are pretty popular. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's the internet. Yeah. Man. <laughs> what was your impression over there, Kenzie, from uh, coming from the States? You're passionate about sake. You know a lot about it. It must have been pretty overwhelming to go in there to to that culture. Um, but what was that like for you to, to experience that drinking culture and what kind of stood out about it to you? Um, I kind of... Uh, the first time I went, I was sort of taking it all in and just doing everything I could to go to as many places as I could and see what's different. Like even in specific neighborhoods, like why, what everyone is doing. 
mm-hmm. um, and just learn. And the second time I sought out like specific places that I had read about and wanted to go and um, that were already doing the things that I knew I was interested in. So I don't know, I didn't really absorb as much as I was seeking out something instead of trying to learn exactly. Yeah, going with a pretty open mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. But did you get to tour some breweries over there? Yeah, I've, to- I've toured like four sake breweries in different spots. Cool. And are they all sort of? Uh, I imagine more strict regulations and, and practices that that are time honored that they're doing, or are they are they all sort of doing their own thing? Are they doing things differently, like like American craft breweries, or are they kind of following a set practice? Um, I think it kind of depends. I went to one that was like a way more corporate kind of um, big guy mm-hmm. um, that was very had a lot of rules and they were very strict and everything. You had to look at everything through windows and mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. And then I went to a couple of smaller ones who were obviously very concerned with you know the safety and Health. What am I saying? Health. Sanitization. <laughs> Sanitization. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of, uh, of their own because they're so proud of what they're doing. They're like, we, I do this by hand. Like, this is only me. Mm-hmm. And um, so it kind of depends on which ones you seek out because the corporate ones, of course, are ready. They're there for the tours and they have a guide and you have like a clipboard with things. And then mm-hmm. the other ones, you get to go and smell it. And, you know, they have hands-on activities they're like, yeah, your yeasts are, are going to be in this sake, one way or the other. Um, that brings up an interesting point that I feel like you could speak on, Byron, is that this is, a, this is a practice that people have done by hand for centuries. It has been called the first alcoholic drink. There's some people who believe that going back, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. And it's been a process that even now, like the breweries that she toured, where it's done by hand, and a lot of people believe it should be done by hand. What, what as a brewer, you are the toji of proper sake, you the know, brew master. I'm the toji, but also basically the only employee, which <laughs> makes me the kurabito, um, makes me any number of things that one human typically isn't. But Has there ever been shirts made that say, I'm the toji with the koji? Because <laughs> I feel like that should be a thing. Can we make that happen? We can make that happen. Can we put lo- liquid gold logo on there as well? Yeah. A little collaboration? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. You guys you guys uh, have a, a preferred source for, for printing? Um, Apparel? Merch? You know, we just sort of stand out. outside some of the print shops and beg for a while. <laughs> so as a brewmaster, a toji with the koji, from your perspective, you've seen uh, it being done by hand. You know about this this tradition, and you're probably doing most of it by hand. You are like the the man over there. I mean, whether I wanted to or not, right? This is all happening by hand mm-hmm. due to financial restrictions. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, one way or another, I I would choose to go that route, just because the sakes that speak to me specifically are the ones of the more pre modern variety, the ones where you are relying on a lot of natural microorganism activity, and certainly the ones that fall within the production style and register of, you know pre-1970 sake mm-hmm. um so i mean for instance the the two sakes i brought today one's a yamahai which is sort of gaining favor again you'll see you'll see every now and then but there are a lot of japanese brewers who are starting to recall on these these old styles and they're actually having a good amount of success in the states as well um, especially when people are able to start drawing those parallels between you know natural non-intervention wine and yeah every other beverage style production where you are you're putting the right group of organisms together and you're hoping for the best but at the end of 
the ferment, you end up with something that's going to be ultimately more complex, for better or worse. But yeah, those are just the styles that speak to me. And so everything I do doesn't touch filter, doesn't touch any fining. It's basically just what gets pressed off the ferment is what what goes into the bottle. Mm -hmm. So yeah, to elaborate on Kinsey's point, there are a bunch of breweries that are doing sake for competition, which is going to be super refined um, very specific, like almost undrinkable. The point is not necessarily for a mass market sake, but a sake that judges on this panel in Japan will put a gold label on. And then outside of that, a lot of the smaller breweries make most of their sales just internally within their township. So, you know, they are also by design making a sake that could be considered more commodity because that's what the, the townies have been drinking for hundreds of years. Mm. Then you have the folks like Philip Harper up at Tamagawa who is an Englishman making sake um, and just totally using all these old techniques that have almost gone extinct, bringing these sakes back and having huge success across the globe. Where is he located? He's located in northern Kyoto. Okay. Um, So he's been in Japan for, I think, over like 20 years. Mm. Um, And he's the toji of this brewery up there, which is incredible. They do like almost all ambient yeast production. So no yeast pitch, using all of these pre-modern techniques, the yeast basically just collects in the ceiling boards, and when a new batch goes out, it just sits under there until it takes off. But he's making some really wacky stuff that I think is helping move the needle in the right direction for bringing back these time-honored techniques, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think also for engaging the American population. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm super excited about that. I've been out to visit him a couple times. Um, he's been very forthright with all of his information. I'm still not sure if he likes me or not, but he's been very helpful. How could he not? Uh, <laughs> I'm make it hard. <laughs> you are kind of a bully. Every time. <laughs> so you've been in sake production for how long now? Quite a while? The brewery's been open for almost three years. Um, I started making sake about ten years ago. Certainly the first sakes I made were not, I wouldn't consider them drinkable. Why would you do such a thing? well (laughs) i regularly mention that i am the only one probably in tennessee dumb enough to do this um i still stand by that yeah until someone else tries to do this but i am specifically interested in fermentation but also hospitality food and beverage culture Mm -hmm. i think sake really ties all these things together especially japanese culture too i'm not a total japanophile but i can see some very important things that they contribute to the food and beverage community mm-hmm. um, and definitely want to translate those to the American palate. And I think you could speak as much as anyone in the country probably about what what those things are. Because to me, it would be like attention to craft. Um, exactly. Uncompromising. But what to you is appealing about that or important yeah, to you? I yeah. think you definitely, when you go to Japan, you see this firsthand there's nobody that doesn't take pride in their work. Everybody, you know, down to the cashier at the Seven Eleven, like, so happy to be doing their job, and they do the shit out of that job. Mm. And so, of course, that translates to every element of fermentation and food production. And I think that's probably why, you know, they're... Not that this is the benchmark for anything, but there are more Michelin-starred restaurants in Tokyo than there are in the rest of the world. Yeah, so, that's amazing. Uh, you know, and that didn't even include Kyoto and other prefectures. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's not evidence enough, I don't know. Yeah. There's a word called omotenashi, which is the Japanese art of selfless hospitality. Yes. Mm. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the first name of Green Pheasant, and then they were like, no, let's just call it Green Pheasant. No one's going to say that. 
So yeah, what what was your what was your journey like to start? Like what you know? So you were uh, inspired by that the culture and the attention to centuries old tradition and details and all these. But what what was it that really got you on started on that journey to making sake? Yeah, and was that in Tennessee or did you start that in Brooklyn? So I've always enjoyed sake, even even commodity stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, hot served in a little ceramic container at your strip mall sushi restaurant sure. that's yeah. how everyone starts yeah, yeah. i think mm-hmm. and i've i've always even enjoyed that so uh, when i was living in new york i was definitely exposed to some wacky styles i didn't know existed and that's really when the fire was lit um, and i was already working with koji and fermentation so just a natural progression wanted to make it at home mm-hmm. um so i think the first batches were done in new york i moved back to kansas for a spell there's not a lot to do in Kansas, so that's when I really got after it. Um, and then moving back to Tennessee, always been making it at home. So uh, amongst myriad ferments, you know, that was the one I knew I wanted to get into at some point. Yeah. We had the failed experiment of Dinner Lab. I filed the paperwork for the brewery the next day. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and knew that's where I was headed. Um, that's great. Actually, funny story. I was just thinking about this when I was on my way over. I was trying to decide what I wanted to do and in the kind of end days of Dinner Lab. Mm-hmm. And I went over to meet with Josh Habiger over at Bastion. And I was just kind of beating some ideas around. I was like, you know, it's not my first choice, but Nashville needs a tiki bar. I'm ready to fall on that sword. Yeah. But what I really want to do is open a sake brewery. What do you think I should do? And he's like, don't be an idiot, man. Just open a sake brewery. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> Thankfully, someone showed up. To carry that that tiki torch. Oh yeah, it took I, us a while, but I'm afraid I'm not equipped, and uh, you are more so. <laughs> well, thank you. Our stars aligned last year for the pop up <laughs> at Proper Sake <laughs> when we introduced the world to the Nagori Painkiller, right. and that was that was a lot of fun. Special People fun. really dug that. That yeah. was cool. That was a big day. So if you're wondering at home, what am I going to do with this Nagori unfiltered? stuff that's in (laughs) (laughs) that people people talk about and people love try making a painkiller slash pina colada with it and so before we get into nagori kins i'm sure some of your first experiences with with sake and using sake was with like cocktails and what have you found both at your time at 210 jack and now at green pheasant you guys have all these really cool cocktails on the list there and an amazing sake list. And I would say anyone that's interested in sake or you want to learn a little bit more about it, you go see Byron. Um, they're about to introduce dumplings. That's right. And they've got a new beer to talk about, which that's we're going right. to get into. And also, um, you could go to, to Kinsey's Bar and sit down like my wife and I did and not only have this great food, but sort of get... It's not like going to the library or anything. It, you know, it's fun. It's fun to learn from someone who's so passionate about it. But yeah, so your first um, kind of stab at using sake and cocktails. What have you found um, on your journey with like making cocktails with sake? Um, it kind of it's a little tough um, to use, you know, clean, expensive sakes because they just are end up watering down everything that you try to make with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but cocktails with nigori, cocktails with... There's a bunch of um, fun sakis that are, like, oxidized, more like a sherry vibe mm. that are super good, mm-hmm. um, that are good in stirred cocktails. We At 210 and uh, at Green Pheasant, we have a sake punch. Mm. That's a real crusher. Cool. Porch pounder, <laughs> yeah, if you n- will. Yeah, nice. 
Um, that's key. Those are uh, those are easy because that's just a bunch of sake and fruit juices and um, like Aperol mm-hmm. and things. But as far as making like a stirred cocktail, I like to use that oxidized style or nigoris because otherwise the sake just kind of makes everything yeah wetter mm-hmm. with no added flavor. It just gets lot super lost in a lot of stuff. So it's really it's a delicate thing to use. Mm-hmm. It's true, um, especially like the Daiginjo styles, yeah. where it's been so far refined. You're really paying for that nose. If you're putting it into a cocktail, you're not going to get it. So definitely, you're more rustic varietals, more textured, typically higher alcohol too. I, I find those work better in cocktails. And I thought well, what was so cool about your Nigori is using it in drinks. You didn't have to use a ton of it. You didn't have to, um, you could lean on it if you wanted uh, to really let that flavor shine through but you can also there was a bourbon drink that we did i think it was bourbon yeah and like peach where we did like sort of a peaches and cream vibe with the nigori and we were using maybe half ounce to an ounce it's been a long time kenneth i don't remember mm. but uh <laughs> but it it really uh shone through and it and it um i think what was cool about it the cocktail didn't necessarily need bitters because it gave it this like dry snap and so you can let those flavors shine through even more because you don't need to like add bitters to the drink where it's going to pull it in a different direction. But you have dabbled with a, a little bit with with cocktails and experimenting with sake. What would you tell the listener that's at home and not only do they want to drink sake, but maybe they want to experiment with it? Yeah, I typically err on the side of more savory or vegetal cocktails, um, especially with sake because, and especially with these more rustic styles, they end up really highlighting umami. And I think that's one of the cool byproducts of koji just in general. So I like to use carrot juice, which has a nice sweetness as well. I like mm. to use grapefruit. Anytime you have a, you know, a cool, very vegetal bitters or tincture, celery is always awesome. Um, I mean, that's like a full umami bomb. I mean, outside of that, you can start riffing on classic cocktails pretty easily if you mm-hmm. get the right sake. Mm-hmm. Now we've thrown this term around a little bit today without really explaining what it is but koji it's it's crucial to making sake and it's crucial to also to what you've kind of brought to the dining scene in nashville because i don't think people were really marinating things with koji um i know that was something that you were contributing to a lot of restaurants around town so number one what is koji and number two why would people want to use it to marinate things and what's so magical about it it's a three-parter, but we have time. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> All right. What was the first? Uh... <laughs> what? I asked him the fucking question, not you. <laughs> Kenneth, you got this one? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to get on the internet for a minute. but <laughs> Koji is uh, it's a miracle fermenter. And I, we you know, arguably have the Japanese to thank for it. They use it in most of their ferments. There are other derivations of koji that are used in other cultures, but they're all basically, without going too far down the rabbit hole, uh, a spore of aspergillus. So for the purpose of making sake or other koji-related beverages, you are inoculating this spore onto whatever substrate. So in the case of sake, it's rice. Mm. Um, At the end of that inoculation, you basically have a full fungus spore existing on every single grain, um, which is unbelievable. So imagine a... A mushroom colony existing, you know, with the hyphae and the roots and the whole system that creates that fungal ecosystem that exists on every single grain. Um, so you have this enzyme-producing agent that deconstructs starch in a way 
that allows it to be converted to sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why sake is so high in alcohol because you have this single conversion, whereas with beer you've got two conversions. The sake happens all simultaneously, so the the starch in the rice is getting turned into sugar and then eaten immediately. So before the yeast can realize that it's exhausted itself of alcohol and consumption, it's already you know upwards of 20, 22%. It's pretty wacky stuff. That said, you can use it for any number of ferments, and you know there's some incredible chefs in town that are really pushing the envelope with what can what can be done. The Japanese use it for miso. They use it for soy sauce. They use it as a marinade. Uh, shio koji, mm-hmm. which is where you mix salt, water, and koji. You basically deconstruct whatever your protein is. I mean, not necessarily even protein, but whatever your your food item is, you're deconstructing that in a way that increases the umami content, kind of deconstructs um, you know, cartilage and fibers and things to tenderize whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you end up with something that takes a fraction of the time. Um, I know over at Husk, they're doing all sorts of charcuterie. Mm-hmm. Um, where you can essentially get a dry age, you know, 60 day situation in a week or, or less, you know, mm. um, it's, wow. it's pretty wild. And again, like we've only scratched the surface of what can be done here. Wow. So this is something that you need to start sake, but is it also like a byproduct of what your, of your brew process? Um, so the first step in making sake is making the koji. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at a full batch of sake, you're looking at a percentage that is just steamed rice and you're looking at a percentage that is koji and depending on the varietal you'll mix that up but yeah you'll make the make the koji once that's ready you'll start a yeast mash where you're building all the yeast enzymes and the colony to where it can reach a, an efficacy to to cook up a whole tank of sake mm. um, and so that's where the yeast really comes into play at first and then from there you start making larger additions until you fill that tank up and then you wait yeah <laughs> <laughs> there are other elements involved, but yeah. that's uh, in the short order. <laughs> and so patience is a key yeah. part of the brew process. Yeah. You seem a like a patient overseen. guy. Uh, I remember one time you ordered a drink at Chopper from me, and it took probably 14 minutes. But you were very patient. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if uh, it's, it's making making koji is probably an essential if you're if you're making sake or buying koji would it just would it would blow your your margins a little too much so like you have to be able to make it on your own are you purchasing like there's like a there are these specific uh, strains that you're using that are like exactly um and so i get my spores from this family in osaka they wouldn't sell to me until i went out and visited them and so you got a proprietary wow so that's great yeah it's incredible and like th- this guy made me basically hang out with him for a week and sit in on the brewery and like drove me around to all his favorite restaurants in Kyoto and he's like eat this eat this this is this is a matcha snow cone mm. um, eat this I might you sell to you koji? eat this that's great you yeah, had to like go through a whole process yeah he kind of like realize how much of a privilege it was but yeah. I was pretending like it was you know he was putting me out yeah but uh one way or another it's difficult for me <laughs> but yes I will eat this food <laughs> yeah and um the koji has such a indicator on the final flavor because there's so many varietals of koji in the way that they produce enzymes and amylase it's it's a little heady for just the normal sake consumer but you know ultimately you can get into any number of sake derivations just from the koji alone mm-hmm. um, and then even as far as the spore goes like once you start to get into production temps um you're you're inoculating these things at different temperatures producing different aromas and different enzyme contents it's it's nuts yeah how does this 
never-ending summer, how has the, the heat of uh, <laughs> Pie Town, America, Pie Town, Tennessee, affect your operations? Does it, uh, has it affected you at all? Or? Speed it up. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so the brew room is, is temperature controlled. So that's not necessarily affected. But the room where I steam in, just hot as fuck. And poor Tom Maddox, he, <laughs> he sees the brunt of that because the steam rises, goes to the back where all his shit is, and then he's just getting steamed out back there. Mm. Tom Maddox, neighbor of Carter Creek Microgreens. Shout out. And uh, colorful as ever local character <laughs> truly <He's> amazing <laughs> what, a, what a nashville icon yeah nashville icon that's more accurate <laughs> shout out tom <laughs> yeah. yeah so most sake breweries in japan only produce in the winter because a lot of them don't have climate controlled facilities and even the ones that do still choose to adhere to that tradition so you know the temperature does play a big factor in production over there um, and a lot of folks don't have you know, temperature-controlled tanks as well. So they will rely entirely on the ambient temperature. Sure. And a lot of people that are involved in that industry in Japan, at least historically, sometimes they have to, like, leave their families or they, like, leave the towns they live in to go. And they you have to immerse yourself into the brewing season, essentially, there. Could you speak a little bit about that? Or did you guys observe anything anything like that when you were over there? Yeah, or the, the effects of that because I thought that was pretty interesting when I was doing some research that some of these people they just they leave their families and they're making sake for six months and then you know and part of and I thought this was interesting the uh, the brewmaster the toji part of their responsibility is to keep the morale up and keep the you know make sure people are taken care of and not missing their families too much or creating a sense of family did you observe any of that over there and how often do you talk to yourself <laughs> at the brewery in Nashville? Considering most days it's just me and Tom's dog. Um, white dog? White dog. I do spend a lot of time talking to myself and or white dog. Mm-hmm. Listen mm-hmm. to a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Liquid Gold. Strong. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Just cracked Thanks, open a, another dimension. <laughs> defolded on itself. Very meta. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that said, there are less breweries in Japan that are following that model because there's so few youth cultures interested in doing it Mm. they're trying to modernize it a little bit so you do see more people living in town and going home after the day's work but Mm. historically and certainly still today there are plenty of breweries where folks move to the brewery for the winter don't see their families and then move back when the year's over Um, the brewing season's usually like september october on through February or on up to May, depending on how cold it is in certain parts. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, a lot of those brewery workers, too, will go work the rice fields, um, at least historically, in the summer. Um, so you have this kind of 360 operation where they're growing all the rice in the summer and then brewing in the winter. Um, there are less and less of those, and I don't fully understand the government's position on rice production, but I know they're heavily involved. So there's a lot of difficulty for breweries to make their own rice at this point. It's easy to get in the weeds on Japanese legislation. Mm. We better stay out of that one. Let's not. Before we get ourselves in too much trouble. Foreign agriculture. America's, <laughs> <laughs> America's uh, suffering enough with our, you know, standing in the world right now. Damn, soy, I'll dr- soybean I'll drink farmers are having some trouble, man. I'll tell you what. All right. Are we cracking these? We're cracking them. Okay. Whew. Yeah. Let's get out of the darkness here. 
out of the darkness and into the Koji Gold. Is this the Koji brand new Gold. beer that you have just launched? Just launched. All right, we're cracking open for the first time in Nashville. Now other people have had it, but few. we like to very few. We like to feign Sheesh. exclusivity when we can. Here on Liquid Gold, <laughs> this is this beer is no doubt is called Koji Gold, Japanese style lager beer, one of our favorite styles of beer. So cheers to you for doing this cheers. and climbing that mountain, climbing that since we're in Nashville, that hill, that hill in <laughs> Shelby Park. Yeah, what led to the creation of this? And because uh, you you've kind of crossed over into beer the last couple years. Yeah, I mean. It's less of a crossover and more of just a decoy, mm. trying to trick people in drinking sake, um, or learning about koji. Oh, um, I love it. Beyond that, like, I am I'm a sucker for a crushable lager. Dude, uh, this is yeah. awesome. Thanks, man. Um, this is great. Yeah, me and Mike, Mike and I talk about Japanese beer a lot. This is right up our alley. It's definitely, Gosh. you know, I made this beer for me to drink, and I hope other people feel like drinking it too yeah. but it's a crusher <laughs> and it's got a nice like dry indian summer crusher yeah indian summer crusher yeah and it's a nice um it's got a nice like dry pop to it so it's like real real refreshing that's and yet coaching. i want to reach for another sip that's right every time just complex <laughs> enough just dry enough i like the yellow lo- the yellow logo it kind of tastes a little yellow <laughs> it? i gold. think that's gold i believe that's gold <laughs> oh. jesus um, we'll get you tested for colorblindness. Really wanted Darren, to put that on the get agenda. Those gold cans, but gold mm. cans are super expensive. So we've got gold labels, yellow gold, yellow gold, yellow gold, and the top is silver. And so it's kind of like the the metaphor is gold over silver. But don't forget about silver. It's not quite if you're first, you're last. It's being first and second is cool. That's right. There's there's some <laughs> hidden context too. You know, don't forget mm. about jade. But mm. silver and gold, also cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you've got this on tap at the, the brewery room? We do. Um, so we just released it. Last week was the first week of, of traveling around and trying to trick people into drinking it. Um, we sold out of cans in two days. Was really did not anticipate people wanting to drink so much of it. That's, so that's awesome. Cool. I'm glad you saved some for us. Yeah, absolutely. How, ma- how, many, how, many did you, uh, how much beer did you make first run? We did a 30-barrel run. And Ooh. we split that evenly between kegs and cans. So the next the next run will be more substantial, and it's it's underway. That's great. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Yeah. It again, really just a a, a trick, trying to trick people into drinking that sake. Yeah. Um, certainly, a, a special moment for me in Japan is going to an izakaya and sitting down with a crispy Japanese beer <clears throat> and a, just a commodity, rustic sake, and just back and forth. <clears throat> um, and that's really the the inspiration behind this too. That's killer. Now, this is an exciting time for you as well because you have just launched dumplings mm. in the tasting room. And if we want to visit your hours, talk to me about your hours. And you're in Pie Town. Now I know what Pie Town is, but it's basically right by City Winery. There's a little sliver of town that's carved right. out right there on the map. <laughs> you can see the pie on the map. You can. People wonder why it's called Pie Towns because well, look at the map. You see a piece of pie. This is um, uh, the mind of Bryce. Bryce McLeod. Right. At work. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, shout out Bryce. Shout out we Bryce. We love you, Bryce. Um, but yeah, if we want to visit your brewery, where is it? What are your hours? Tell, tell us the, the lowdown. Yeah. Thank you it's for a great pl- It's a great place. To, <laughs> it's a great place to learn about sake, drink sake, drink beer, and now eat dumplings. 
And now we eat dumplings. Yeah, it's uh, Fridays and Saturdays just at the moment. I have to use a lot of the space for production during the week. So sure. trying to figure that out. But yeah, Fridays and Saturdays, at this point, 4 to 9 on Fridays, 1 to 9 on Saturdays. We're going to extend hours when we officially launch dumplings on the 25th of October. Killer. Um, so we'll, we'll do a big party and really blow it out. Um, so expect some more hours, more like uh, sake brunch vibes, doing a breakfast dumpling. Mm. Um, probably do some breakfasty cocktails, just keep things wacky. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's in a strange building. You'd miss it if you weren't looking. The sign gets covered up when I roll the window down at night. <laughs> uh, but 628 Ewing, um, you know, just look for the old broken down truck out front. Yeah, and it's a good hang because it's like a warehouse party you want to be invited to. It's true. <laughs> all the all the materials are, are made by myself and a, my buddy Wade. Shout out to Wade. Mm-hmm. Um, with all Home Depot woods and screws and saws. And it's got a nice Japanese <laughs> kind of flair to it as well. Yeah. Intentionally and unintentionally. Yeah. It's just a, like, a byproduct of necessity. Yeah. Like we can make this, I think. <laughs> October 25th. Is the dumpling launch? Mm-hmm. That's exciting. I should also mention. Are you having to cook these dumplings yourself? I'm sure <laughs> I'm going to get caught holding holding the bag at some point. Yeah. Um, I've made all the dumplings so far, along with my cohort Nate Leonard, who you may oh, know. Oh yeah. And Nate Leonard wow. is going to hmm. be overseeing production. Oh man, you're in good hands. I know. I'm very lucky. That sounds dope. I really, really the legendary. Into sorry, it, mom. Sorry, my mother-in-law. Biscuit slut <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> I think he went off biscuit slut and then he changed back. Yeah. yeah <laughs> True back. Nate fashion. He's like, I know. I'm the biscuit slut. I can't. <laughs> Who am I kidding? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Your you know, dumplings will be in good hands. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he helped design some of the recipes too. So he is fully involved at this point, whether he wants to be or not. It's going to be a lot, yeah. a lot of dumplings. A lot of dumplings. We got, we got five varietals on cue right now, but we're. Tell us about them. Thank you for asking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be starving after this. Um, we've got a Huevos con Chorizo dumpling Oof. with a green chili. Um, so it's like kind of like a Thai green chili situation with a lot of fish sauce. Mm. Um, bird's eye shishito, um, shit ton of cilantro. And then we've got a Gulf shrimp dumpling. Um, you know, pretty simple, but with some Worcestershire and then a fermented sake butter. So taking the casu, whipping it into a little bit of butter um, and fermented to give it like this delicious cheesy shrimp number um, with a bunch of black pepper. And then we've got a veggie dumpling for those that are interested. It's going to be edamame and oyster mushroom um, with a with a miso sauce. We've got a pretty traditional pork, black vinegar number. And then we've got a hot chicken dumpling. That's what mm, it is. Of yeah. course. Got to do it. Yeah. Got to do it. It's basically it's like this one kind of accidentally came about when I was eating in Atlanta at the Krog Street Market. There's this place called Goose Dumplings. The Szechuan dumplings there are fucking awesome, and they come in this big, messy bowl with red oil, and it's like, this is just hot chicken. Yeah. This is yeah. just hot chicken dumpling. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I ripped that off or not, but I just threw in a little bit of brown sugar, mixed up the chilies, boom, you got it. I would love to think that someone from Japan is going to come to Nashville and taste all the hot chicken and then be like, peace out. I'm going to go master this and just like go, they go back to Japan. They probably would just destroy us every time. <laughs> it's just like they're making the best pizza over there now. Yeah. I've heard about the pizza. Yeah. It, I mean, that's just tip of the iceberg. 
Can you tell us what's so special about the pizza? Because I've seen these pictures, and it, it honestly looks like DiGiorno. Like Wood-fired <laughs> cedar. No, no, they don't look sexy, necessarily. Now, people, you know, like, drool over these things. Yeah. Tell me about the pizza. Kins, I can you speak? I'm not familiar. I mean, I've seen the photos also. And yeah. I tried to get into one, like, fancy pizza place when we were there this summer, but no, like, no. it didn't happen yet. I no. haven't been to the one that everyone's losing their shit over, but I've been to a, to several other pizza places just from asking around, it seems like they are fermenting these doughs to perfection. Of course, the structure of the ovens is, you know, some sort of next level situation. But I think at the end of the day, there's probably an old Japanese lady, like, just putting her hands all over everything. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. Yeah, which is like the, you know, the time-honored grandma tradition of Italy. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> little Italy. <laughs> Big Italy. <laughs> well, that's exciting. So for let's switch gears a little bit here because as we mentioned earlier, definitely one of the, the places to go in the city to drink sake, the proper sake brewery with the dumplings, uh, 210 Jack, which people I think know about, popular place, amazing food, people love it, uh, but also Green Pheasant downtown where you're the bar manager, Kinsey, yep. amazing place to check out sake. I was looking at the list uh, when we were there and it was insane. And you really helped us when it was like, yeah, we, I was like, yeah, we want something kind of light, but whatever you think, you know, and you can kind of put it in your bartender's hands there. But for anyone interested in sake, but also wondering, you know, sometimes I wonder too, is the hot sake just inappropriate? I know that they, they drink warm sake in Japan with like cold food and with sushi. Um, but can you speak to the, uh, the temperature differences and how how like you view that as a sake psalm um, the so only sake psalm i may <laughs> offer the again in tennessee the only one that's ever been in america the only one that exists as far as screw the know. facts that's true. Yeah, of yeah. course the other people in my class don't matter they don't they're fake news i believe fake news. <laughs> news. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah what um, what can you speak on the temperature aspect because i feel like a lot of people wonder like oh am i doing this wrong am i doing it right yeah, I mean, personally, I didn't have any hot sake in Japan either time. I wasn't in a, I was in, just in Tokyo or Kyoto or Osaka. I wasn't in a cold part of Japan mm-hmm. ever, so I don't know how it really is up there. I think the um, the stigma is on American people serving hot sake because it kind of it's usually like at a hibachi place mm-hmm. or something like that, and people it's just kind of bad sake warmed up to make it not taste bad <laughs> yeah so that's it's almost like so ghetto beer a little bit like yeah. uh better drink it if it's cold yeah right exactly yeah. i sat down mm. yeah so i feel like when people have all these bad experiences with hot sake it's not because of sake it's because of you know its condition and if it was gross table sake that was heated to 100 degrees <laughs> 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 and you're eating with like i don't know What's always Sushi been so confusing fish, I don't know. to me a... about this is that, like, when you heat it up, you just get blasted in the face with Yeah, it stings alcohol. my nose. Yeah, like, I can't even like taste drinking... anything but alcohol. Yeah, it's like drinking moonshine, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but, so I feel but like... But you only do if you're insane. Yeah. <laughs> 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 moonshine episode coming. Coming later. Coming coming down the road. We don't hate moonshine. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> But in general, I found if we serve it warm, people ask for it to be hotter, and huh. if, mm. and, yep. and that so I just do it for them. 
I yeah. don't prefer it that way, but I'm not going to shame anyone for how do you, how do you, wanting it that how do you um, how do you make it hotter? Is there there's a what? gauge on our machine? We also have um, we have like a induction burner on the bar or like in the sure. center, yeah, so we can just keep a rolling boil. And if we want like a nicer bottle to be warmed up, I'll do that this winter. If that comes, if winter exists, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's all that exists. Summer, winter. Yeah, I do shame people a little bit in the summer because I'm like, why and how can you drink it? I'm dying. Yeah. Like, it's too hot. Yeah. Everything's too hot. But it okay. Just like, like, nope, next question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there are bottles that you might pull where you're like, you're proud of that bottle. You're proud to carry it. And you could serve it cold, but you also might serve it warm. So there, yeah. so there's differences like between bottles or like, like there's, there's a variance of temperature that you could serve one bottle. For sure. I think there's more like campfire, um, campfire-y kind of, and the oxidized ones that would be very cool, a little bit warm. Mm-hmm. Still not hot, but, yeah, you know, as an after dinner kind of sipper. <laughs> <laughs> but most of the nice ones that I've had were cold. Yeah. And so that's sort of the way to do it. And do you... That's how I prefer it. But, yeah. But to each their own. What are some sakes that you have over there that you're really excited about that you feel like because i feel like there's stuff there that you can't get anywhere this is true yeah yeah there's a bunch of there's a fun uh fun ones um there's this one called endless summer that i really like which is just a um it's a hanjozo which is like an alcohol added sake but it's very like it tastes like a salted piece of watermelon or something oh wow and it's super good for summer which is why it's called endless (laughs) summer well, that's fitting because we're there. That one's good. <laughs> we're in it. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's um, there's some more weird ones like that. Yuho. I can't think of what the it's called right now. Eternal Embers. Yeah, Eternal Embers. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's something. That's a really going to be, I think, a really good winter winter sake. Agreed. Mm-hmm. That, that one does well crush. with a little bit of heat mm-hmm. if people need that. Yeah. Do you have any of the barrel aged sake? Yeah. Right so now? we actually, I have a. Um, a couple of the taru sakis and we're doing it we're actually doing a negroni with a cedar barrel aged sake right now cool that's super fun mm-hmm. cool i'm coming for that yeah mm-hmm. yeah we have a couple of those we always have the funaguchi gold can which is one of my favorites that's not hard to find but it's just a real treat when you get to open <laughs> one mm. how so uh it's just super fun it's in an adorable packaging first of all mm-hmm. which everyone likes cause mm-hmm. that's the thing that people are like what's that i want one too yeah yeah um and then it's a uh, it's a namazaki, so it's unpasteurized, it's undiluted, it's nineteen percent alcohol. So banger, yeah. And so we have those in like the one hundred and eighty milliliter cans, but then we also have the mega can, which is a one liter of Funaguchi that we only wow. sell to like parties of five or more, <laughs> so that we don't fuck everyone up. Yeah, that's like you take that to the beach and they're gonna find <laughs> you, you asleep yeah. on the beach. That's the one for yeah. sure. That's the one. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. What is your what's your experience been like with with guests there that are interested about sake? Are they pretty open minded? Uh, you know, for what you have to offer. Yeah. What what's the what's the since you're in downtown Nashville, yes. I feel like you could speak on, you know, like what is what's America looking for in a sake? Uh-huh. Um for yeah. sure. We get a lot of interesting requests are just a lot of people that don't want to try it at all like you know there's like some arguing like why don't we try some sake they have so many and then someone's like no i had a bad experience and i don't like sake and i'm like you don't though you've never had anything like any of these i know you haven't 
You, you know, I just I had a bad experience at the mall in yeah, Minnesota. Exactly. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but mostly I just kind of, I've, uh, even if they're not, you know, even if they immediately decide they don't want sake because they can't agree on something, I pour them a couple of tastes and I'm like, here, just in case you wanted to try it. I knew you were talking about it together. I just eavesdrop yeah. a lot and yeah. if yeah. they don't want to talk to me about it. And then classic just force it on them because that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably yeah, the, right. the bartender the way. Correct, <laughs> it's the most correct approach. Yeah. Like, yeah. Don't yeah. acknowledge that you're eavesdropping on them. Just right. do something Bar that here. might hint to the fact that you're. Yeah. All you need to do as a bartender <laughs> is turn your head <laughs> to where your ear <laughs> is pointed at the conversation. You will, you will learn a lot about these people so yeah, if like you're sitting at a bar and you're computer. like oh, they're not listening to me they've had their head turned no that's exactly <laughs> what we're doing we're listening to whatever the fuck you're saying yeah. and we're judging and we're gonna pour you something to taste and in my time off i go sit at a restaurant and watch you break up with your girlfriend and <laughs> <laughs> have any other plans <laughs> Like, yeah, well, Kenneth, you're all done. You had dessert, you had drinks, you want anything else? Hang um, on. Actually, I'm hungry if, again. Yeah. I'll just take the check when they take theirs. <laughs> Show's over. Are you with them? Nope, nope, nope. Just, uh, just, I feel like it'd be easy for you to turn the whole section at once. <laughs> and they're fighting. That's lovely. And that brings us to... Booze News with Kenneth Deadman. What do you have for us this week? Uh, it's pretty heavy this week, Mike. Oh. Do you want me to start like uh, serious or just ease in with like something Stop like Stop looking at me so, like that. Something we can something we can goofball with. We just sure. finished goofball and let's keep sure. it keep it on positive. the goofball train. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I immediately regret this. No, no way. This is great. <laughs> In London, London in London in the UK, uh, rebel uh, rebel distillers have paired with Bethesda Software to create Europe's first video game themed vodka. Jesus, always the vodka. So good, dude. Yeah, um, yeah. In celebration of the video game Doom Eternal coming out on November twenty second. <laughs> Rebel, Distiller- Rebel Distilleries is yet is he just had his own to- regret <laughs> is making the world's first also bone marrow flavored vodka. Holy shit! Just broke my chair. Um, I love oh, you that. Know, happens I- all the time. It just pops right back in. Oh yeah. Sorry, we gave you that chair. Usually nobody. That's usually there. right that here. Actually, it. yeah. So. Uh, uh, Ginger Pig London Butchers is uh, is where we're sourcing all these beef bones. They're going to be uh, roasted and smoked and then r- dis- distilled with a neutral grain spirit at a very low temperature to ensure that marrow flavor is imparted. Wait, is this the uh, serious Fergus news Henderson? or the goofball news? Yeah. Which, is Fergus wait, Henderson wait, involved hard. in this? I feel like he's, yeah, he's probably like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> uh, uh, you blokes fuck crazy. <laughs> Kevin Costner called. He wants his accent coach back. So yeah, uh, Doom Bone Vodka. Hey, there's a sake brewer fixing a chair over there in that corner. Is I do a, everything is available worldwide. 
and it tastes like bone marrow. Wow. Fascinating. We've had some yeah. vodka stories lately on Booze News. I had, and to, it's yeah, like, I had to do a vodka. What people don't realize, I feel like, is it's the beginning of the vodka re-renaissance. Yeah. It's taking over again. We're about to start a new decade and be like, yeah, the 2000s, that was the decade of vodka. Well, it's back. 2000, yeah. the 20s. The new roaring 20s, complete with a <laughs> brand new recession at the beginning instead of the end, <laughs> is going to be all about vodka. Dude, you know what I've seen? Like a trend in gin is um, vodka gin. Like the, the split <laughs> the split pours of like of gin drinks. Like folks are like wanting... Oh. Maybe I th- I feel folks are get oh, warming up to gin, but they don't want a lot of gin. There's so I'm seeing a lot of folks here. That's okay. A lot of folks down. getting okay. down on okay. like a, no. a split pour split pour vodka gin. I like that. Actually, I like that. As long of, as they're gonna drink, as long as they're gonna drink. Before yeah, before <laughs> want a little I, bit of gin. That's okay. Before that's okay. I forget, dude. To, just to like, because I wanted to put it on this show. I don't know, uh, if, if Byron, you if you had it, but one of my coworkers has. Uh, a cocktail featuring a spot, uh, sparkling sake um, with the Leatherby guys uh, autumnal nori Hell flavored. Yeah. Which yeah. I just do you have that? Yeah. I actually think it tastes like garbage gin, but yeah. uh, <laughs> but it really, um, it tastes like like fish sauce and seaweed. Like seaweed. I get it, I get I it, and yeah. I'm like it's happy interesting about to me, it. but I understand why it's going to be off putting to so many others. I always felt like their other one, like they've always been creative with their like mm-hmm. their um, special gens, but I always feel like that's something that their stuff because they're not in a lot of markets in Nashville. A lot of folks just want to buy as many cases of their yeah. their stuff as possible. But anyway, one of my coworkers before I get off subject, uh, <laughs> before uh, <laughs> shout out to Kirsten. Uh, she made a rice orange yacht, and she's. Uh, she she does a split pour of oh, that yeah. that that uh, that gin and the uh, like haiku vodka. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. There's a, like a little Spanish uh, vermouth in there. It's finished with it's finished with your, your product. It, it tastes like it's, dope. Cool. it's like it's really trotter. great. Like it's called it the globe trotter. It's like uh, it's called the Riz Fizz. But yeah, that, the cocktail the I, I thought of it. The cocktail you were talking the the um, um, umami tsunami. Umami tsunami. Yeah. <laughs> It also features a good bit of gold dust, which is Do fantastic. Do you know how they're making this rice orange yet? I, I can find out. Let's, it's not let's that call hard. her up. That's awesome. Kirsten, I mean, yeah, she's like all, she's yeah, a, she's great. She's a great bartender. Pretty creative. Great bartender. Booze news. Moving on. <laughs> uh, continuing our... Sil- <laughs> He's yelling at himself. <laughs> continuing in our expose series, Distilleries in Danger. <laughs> Last week, a brush fire, a brush fire at uh, one of Heaven Hills, um, one of Heaven Hills aging facilities outside of the aging facility, almost took them out. This week in distillery fires, guys. Wow, I don't mean to be a conspiracy theorist, but there's some kind of marketing, supply and demand scam going on here with whiskey. Too many fires, always. Too many it's, fires, dude. It's that it, we're in the middle of a drought. Like, look outside, like. It is hot. Feel it in here. It is dry. You know we don't we don't record with the AC on in here. That's why like that's you why know, we're sweating. We're about an hour and twenty minutes into it. And, pretty like, temperate it's, in here. Yeah, yeah it's good thing we have and... Koji Gold beer from Proper Saki in Nashville. Yeah. Pie Town, but dumplings <laughs> coming soon. <laughs> Five dumplings to start. <laughs> Biscuit slut. <laughs> 
I don't know. Like uh, that that shit gets tricky as far as like taxation on them. Like I know that a distillery does better to sell their whiskey most of the time than to i guess they might be getting pre-tax on those barrels right yeah okay. yeah that was like a big thing That's with heaven hill point. once before when they had yeah. when the distillery burned down in the in the late 90s like it almost bankrupt them and they had to like the government and the irs reached a deal with the distillery that kept them kept them alive yeah anyway 60 acres did burn right next to the deetsville oh. facility which is like eight or nine rick houses right there in the middle like deetsville is just north northwest of bardstown but i mean it's part of basically part of the city it's just like an yeah. unincorporated neighborhood that's crazy uh, yeah upon investigation though um uh, they found out that the uh that it probably was because of sparks that were seen coming off of uh the my old kentucky home dinner train Whoa. That roll, rolls straight beside, yeah, it's like a retrofitted 1940s dining cart that goes out of downtown Bardstown, up a few miles and comes back. It's like a two and a half hour tour. That sounds but, dope. Yeah, but <laughs> it, I didn't know about that. Oh, it's take this, my this mind's blown. It looks yeah, Stephen it, Foster. Yes. Shout out. No, I tracks. <laughs> dude, that's what I was doing on Google Maps the whole ride over here. I was tracking the the train track, like the actual route, and it mm. goes like straight through like. Nothing but warehouse parts of uh, Bardstown, you know, places you'll see like broken plastic chairs just strewn all over the place, uh-huh. you know, like just behind warehouses and people's backyards. It doesn't look that cool, but the f- menu looked all right. They have a murder mystery thing, of course. That's dope. <laughs> call, somebody call Pat Halloran. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was great. Like uh, I was looking at like the price. I don't know. Like it looks like a good meal to like roll into half on mushrooms half half stoned and be like i, I might eat or i might not but like <laughs> i will ride you on really this know train, how to but i will ride on this train yeah you really know how to live <laughs> somewhere there was a fire we were talking about i don't know yeah it was dude, it got it got within 100 yards of of the um of the rick houses but it's important to mention this is not at the the Barstown location on, on Laredo Road. Okay, this so is cool. like one of their external locations. Okay. Where, and no one got hurt. No one that I know of got hurt. No, no one that I know. If it got like a hundred yards away from the Rick houses, then I could say in the you middle know, there will be a future label called Hundred Yards Toasted <laughs> Kentucky Bourbon. Hundred Yards Toasted Warehouse C. Dude, they said uh, retail four hundred dollars. <laughs> They said Yield twelve cases. A lot of the whiskey there, <laughs> a lot of up. the whiskey there that's aging is actually like um, rented out to Maker's Mark. Mm. <laughs> Moving from the Indian summers, <laughs> uh, sticking with uh, the environment. Uh, Diplomatico Rum has just announced uh, Canaima Gin, which is uh, a both charitable product. We're most pro- profits are going to reforestation of the Amazon, but also using um, sustainable botanics taken from the Amazon. Mm. Well, pretty freaking sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Cola they're, nut. And they're stuff like in that. the middle of like a much larger like fire season than Bardstown, Kentucky is. So, yeah. good luck to Diplomatico and the spirits industry in Venezuela, which is fucking struggling. Twenty year struggle. Thirty year struggle. Coming to a head. All right, here's the article that I like. Uh, I just can't throw the numbers out well enough to fucking understand. But North America is uh, accounting to one third of the volume of, of beverage can sales in globally. 
but also pioneering aluminum can recycling. 70% of all recycled material in North America are, in fact, the aluminum can industry. Currently in the United States, uh, both consumer and industrial uh, recycling rates of aluminum are well over 50%. So you can pat yourselves on the back, North America. We're finally doing something cool. We just crush cans of beer. Yeah. I prefer and as a byproduct, we have more to recycle. I honestly prefer beverages and cans across the board. The more that I think about it, you know, like I end up with like one of these bottles, plastic bottles of water, but mm-hmm. but aluminum, like it never corrodes, so like it can sit sit on the side of the road. It can it can even go into our like water supply and not not exactly like contaminate our water supply mm. and until it's eventually recycled. It's a great non-corrosive and extremely recyclable product i feel like you guys can speak on this as super tasters kinsey the only psalm sake psalm in america <laughs> slash tennessee or whatever well, you know i'm i'm exaggerating at least in north america north america <laughs> at least on earth everywhere yeah, yeah in the galaxy sure. and byron you have you were just holding a can of your beer what goes into your decision process when you're thinking about, is this a can or a bottle? Is it is it just logistics, which I imagine it to be? But also, what do you feel like? Because I don't like Coors Light in the bottle, for exi- for, for instance. I love it in the can. Uh, Tecate, I prefer it in the can. Uh, in the bottle, it tastes different. It's not like as much of a drop-off to me. And then like Negra Medella or Medella, prefer in the bottle. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of interesting like that. Are we just crazy? Are we on to something? What do you think as a brewmaster? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up. Initially, I wanted to do stubby bottles because no one does that. Mm. Um, and I found a place where I could get them. But the problem is nobody does bottling lines really anymore for small bottles, especially in Tennessee. So actually, the cans made way more sense. We're brewing this over at Fat Bottom. So they have a really incredible canning line. But after hearing Kenneth's story, like this is even better. <laughs> Outside of that, like the the way that cans can be packaged with the right seaming, you can also, you know, elongate any beers. From what I understand, any beers shelf life pretty easily. Um, and you also, for the same reason, like Funaguchi is served Nama in a can, is because you can you can pack it so full, and and seam it in a way that where you can actually put an unpasteurized sake that will mostly be uninhibited by excess temperatures or light. It's interesting. And I, I think there's, uh, outside of the recyclability, there's a there's a higher functionality of cans. Yeah, I think also sake, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't, you don't it doesn't age very well in a bottle anyway. Like it so, possibly would in a can where it's, yeah, like. The bottle I'm looking mon- at that came from Tokyo is super dark. I can't yeah. even see anything yeah. that's in there. And so it's very true. And, and sake oxidizes just like wine, which to sometimes to the betterment of the sake, but mm. most sakes don't age well. That said, circling back to the styles of sake we make and the styles of sake that I think are really interesting, they do age well because they are kind of their own self-contained ecosystem. So the Yamahai, Kimoto, Bodaimoto styles still have all these naturally existing microorganisms that amazingly kind of protect this bottle and have this insular system with which the way it ages may not be interesting to a lot of consumers but to me like i, I think it's incredible mm. that said like your daiginjos and ginjos it's it's yeah, not going to go well you want those fresh bottles, yeah, yeah. you want to drink that like vino verde 
Sí. Keep it fresh. Sí. And clean and cold, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you notice, though, a difference between a product that's both bottled and canned? Do you like... Absolutely. Do you see that? And Absolutely. what's that about? As yeah. a, a, Coming from a... Because I can bullshit all day about like, oh, I like it better in the can. It's cool as light <laughs> and I'm camping. <laughs> but from a brewer's standpoint, what do you... So it has to do with the processes of filling filling the bottles and cans. And, yeah. you know, my specific journey is more with non-carbonated beverages. So I'm still very much learning the canning process. This is our first endeavor into that. So I understand why it's different. I understand the seaming process to be different. The purging process of the cans is very different. Um, I've never actually seen a traditional, like, Tecate-style bottling line um, what they would do versus their can bottling line. Yeah. But I do know it is a different experience. Um, and certainly you can tell that in the end product. Yeah. And do you feel like it is just what hits your lips mixed with what's coming? Or is it also the liquid that's in the vessel? Do you know what I mean? Like, is the glass affecting the taste? Is the can affecting the taste? I would assume that it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I imagine there's a you know interpretation of flavor and aroma that comes from that pouring a bottle into your mouth Mm. and then also there's a million different types of cans the way that they're lined the way that they're purged and seamed like there's any number of opportunities for oxygen to get in or get out in both scenarios Um, and then of course with bottles you have access to light even if it's a brown bottle there's still going to be some light that gets in there Mm. Um, yeah so i assume that has some sort of effect that's fascinating Consider this. Um, (laughs) It's eventually. It's. uh, It. I don't care what the fucking temperature is outside. It's eventually going to be. It's eventually going to be Thanksgiving, and nouveaux are going to be coming out. Would you be open to purchasing a a nouveau in a can as opposed to a bottle? Mm. I, through experience and uh, field research, (laughs) I can say, be careful with canned wine. And the kind that at parties they hand to you with a straw, it can lead to hospital visitations. And you're talking about uh, <laughs> canned wine's dangerous, man. That's what I'm saying. You're talking about the Sophia. Sounds like there's a story in there somewhere. <laughs> canned wine being handed out at parties is dangerous. But so I'd prefer it in a bottle with a glass where I keep track. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Can to glass, can to glass, man. Like you can you can crunch them and put them in your pocket. You tell how many you have. <laughs> yeah movie theater you might be talking about something different that's right yeah. yeah get it into the movie theater yeah maybe it comes in a bag sure sure someone's purse it's coat season it's coat season coat season you can roll it into coat season you got your special i i highly encourage everyone to buy a beer at the bell court but also to bring one of these in too hell yeah yeah because movies are that. getting longer yeah yeah in the netflix age especially tarantino films mm. yeah yeah you're going to need something to supplement the beer from the- Right. The new yeah. Scorsese film perhaps coming out. A, it's like three. Perhaps a flask of tequila <laughs> <laughs> that someone ends up dropping by <laughs> in the middle of the movie. That was awesome. He's looking at me. But. <laughs> I was trying. I was so happy. I was so happy you did it because I was trying so hard not to. Like. <laughs> Pressure's off. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! All right, we got to round up booze news. I got, I got something super. <laughs> oh, it's not over. <laughs> no, nah. still talking. <laughs> uh, this booze w- news again. <laughs> Back to the UK. Um, <laughs> Shout out Kevin Costner in London. Charles Dickens. <laughs> Charles Dickens 
uh, hand-readed booze log sold at auction for $14,000 this week. Said log was uh, written about three days before Mr. Dickens' death. I don't know what he died of. They didn't cover that. The title of said paper is Gad's Hill Cellar Casts, 1870, and it goes into extreme detail of Dickens' uh, underground uh, cellar containing brandies and various French wines. Damn. The same, at the same damn uh, auction, though, first edition of A Christmas Carol sold for $115,000. Wow. That'll play. Super cool. That's awesome. I, I didn't know that he was, like, a drinker. And I, don't, I think he was probably pretty moderate or else he wouldn't have had, like, semi-positive, like, stories. Every, every one of his stories. Positive? Story, really? Yeah. You know, like, oh. Oliver Twist, like, was... Semi positive. All this <laughs> overcoming poverty shit is like uh, was was his thing. An inventory of the shit he wouldn't drink. Yeah, and he's like, if you betray death, it will visit you. Say long, so long, sailor. Merry fucking Christmas. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that third ghost. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen that in a while. And when I did, it was the Muppets one. So Byron, you poured us a a little sample here, something special. What do we got in our glass at this point? So this is a uh, a Yamaha sake. This is one of the ones that I try and move out mm-hmm. as much as possible, especially as a companion piece for this beer. It's a uh, it's very mm. much an unadulterated pre-modern style. You're looking at a lot of microorganisms working together to make something something fun. Typically, these styles have a little bit higher, you know, glucose level, amino acid level, general complexity. To that end, I've got. One more to pour whenever you guys are ready. Dope. This one's lower ABV. I'm not ABV. driving today. Mm-hmm. So this last one is pre-modern, pre-modern. This is a Bodai Moto. <laughs> it is basically a situation where you're taking raw rice and oh. you are fermenting straight from that. You're pulling the wild yeast that exists on that rice. And this one also, um, I, the yeast mash that I was mentioning earlier, I propagated that in my garden to collect ambient yeast. So there's no no pitch of sake yeast in here. This is cool. just whatever happens. That's great. What's that cool. process like? You're collecting le- yeast, but how are you using that in practice? So the yeast that I use for most of the production is uh, acquired from Japan. I get it propagated and stored at Bootleg Biology, which is a really badass shop right down the street here. Holy shit. Uh, we got to have them on. Yeah, those guys are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and they... Like if you if you start asking around amongst beer brewers around the country, yeah, like, Chris guys are using them a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely. They uh, have an insane collection. No, I don't collection. know about them. I've never heard of them. <laughs> I discovered them. It's like it's like all the president's men. They're yeast famous. You meet me in a parking garage later. I'll talk about it. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. It goes deeper than you think. <laughs> the top johnny <laughs> definitely tastes like a natural brew that's insane yeah yeah, yeah. there's like mustard this is funky, seed yeah yeah and uh some sherry vibes totally it's also like madeira before it's been aged or uncontrolled uh-huh. temp so you get more acid you do get more what sake brewers would you know claim to be off flavors but that's really in the eye of the beholder but yeah the the bootleg guys they take all these yeasts that i get from japan and they store them and then most pitches get a substantial dose of that yeast that they've repropagated. Uh, but yeah, this one is just whatever was existing on the rice and whatever was existing in the garden. It's like a, a week outside with cheesecloth over a ceramic vessel. Yeah, wow. that's great. Yeah. Very Good cool. job. 
a lot of a lot of Tom Maddox plants. <laughs> <laughs> I get all the hand-me-downs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so interesting. That's amazing. Yeah, it's almost like Way. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, and Way totally. has a lot of a lot of naturally occurring proteins and amino acids that I would assume to be present in sake of this style. So and we're talking about whey, the kind of the byproduct of making cheese. That's right. Not the yeah. uh, Spanish slang for man. <laughs> <laughs> man? <laughs> What's up, man? What's up, way? Uh, wow. So, Kinsey. Yes. Before we wrap it up, let's talk about, we know that we can come see you yep. at Green Pheasant. People can go to 210 Jack and people can go to see Byron at Proper Sake Company. And they got the dumplings coming October 25th. But also, what are some places around town and in Tennessee in general that people can buy sake? And what, when you're when you're getting out there, um, you're like, nowhere. Thank you. Well, <laughs> no, I'm trying to get them in a couple of spots. But, I mean, at this point, Woolen Wine Merchant has an okay selection. Not a lot of mm-hmm. things, but the things they have are good. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Red Spirits and Wine out in Bellevue has a good selection. Yeah, they're they're completists. Yeah. They've got tons of stuff. Yeah. Um Cool Springs Wine and Spirits has a pretty mm-hmm. solid selection of stuff. Killer. Otherwise I've kind of found that everything's just the normal Gekikon Shochiku pie stuff. It's pretty much the same mm-hmm. portfolio so, again yeah. and again. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the three that I would But go Byron, to we can find your stuff around town. You can. In different yeah. shops. You can. Sure. Yeah. Whereabouts? Uh, well, Woodland is one of my favorite spots. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Village Wines, Craft Brood is awesome. Mm-hmm. All of the places that Kenzie mentioned also carry. Um, a larger mission for me is also getting Best Brands, our distributor, to start picking up more exotic styles. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully we will have our hand in the import game pretty soon. Um, and in the very least, hopefully in the near future, I can get them working on bringing some more eclectic styles of sake which is interesting if you think about it, because if you made rum locally, would you be as interested in bringing in exotic rums from the Caribbean? Or so that's kind of interesting. It's a like horrible you... business move. <laughs> um, no yes. one is denying that. Yeah. Um, but, but you're interested in that. If you don't want to drink my stuff, uh, I genuinely love sake. Yeah. And for me, so can we bring our own dumplings? <laughs> <laughs> We will always have bring your own food. In. Uh, the market's not quite included. as saturated as yeah as the yeah, and I mean right. they're not trying to even more so with you know esoteric styles of sake. Uh, I feel like some of the brands in Japan would ultimately divert attention back to what we're doing. Totally, but in the very least, like these are the things I want to drink on the regular, and if I could get someone to do the legwork for me, mm-hmm. like me not having to go to Japan and bring back a suitcase, right? Um, that's a win. For yeah, me. because they're gonna want to visit your operation, mm-hmm. really, or perhaps check you perhaps. out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I one, mean, that makes sense. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, this is not a business-minded decision. Right. This is really just a broader education point. Well, yeah. Saki's got a long way to go in America, but it seems like it's it's heading that way. Perhaps. Do you go to the Saki Brewers of America conferences, or is there? You're like, yeah, it's a poker table. Whoa. We play we play cards. Yeah. <laughs> What's the community like in in this country? It's very inclusive and yeah. community driven. I've made some really good friends and excited to see more people come online doing this. There's, you know, an arguable number of us in North America, but 20 plus seems to be a, a roundabout number. Um, that's pretty special then that we have one in Nashville. That's that's pretty cool. Like I said, only person dumb enough. 20, <laughs> 20 sake brewers in 
United States. Yeah. Ish. Including North America. I mean, so like Canada and Mexico too. There's actually a really badass one in Oaxaca. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, I've not been there yet, but I've tasted their juice and it is on point. That's um, cool. There's several in in Canada. Mm-hmm. Most of them are in North America, but probably five more slated to open this year. Maybe 20 more next year, hopefully. And wow. Exponential growth from here. That's great. Are most of them making beers, do you feel like? Or is that more? I don't know if any of them are doing that. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's cool for you because that um, that gives you another reason to visit your brewery and to check it out and to check out what you're offering, too, because last I checked, people like beer. People Everybody like loves beer. beer. Just And this is a special beer because as much as I love Kieran Sapporo, sometimes I want something a little better. I don't know. <laughs> I mean... It's like if it's uh, if it's not thirty eight degrees and it's forty four degrees, the temperature of the beer itself. Yeah, maybe I want something a little colder. That's right. It's like I, you know, it's like we talked about one time Presidente, the the Dominican beer on here one time. Yeah, and it's great as long as it's fucking super cold. <laughs> if it warms up a little bit, you better drink it. Yeah. and grab another one from the fridge. I think that's that's something cool that you're offering beer as well, and yeah. you're you're experimenting with that whole realm, which is cool. I'm. I mean, as much as I'm a sake enthusiast, I'm a fermentation and beverage enthusiast first and foremost. So I drink a good amount of crispy beer, and so nailing that one was pretty pretty indicative of the mission. But I think the two work really well together. And definitely having a lager that hits those brute notes, but also has some complexity, just mm-hmm. enough aroma, especially when you get it into a cool glass, um, to at least keep people interested. Yeah. Well, congratulations on Koji Gold, the new beer. From proper sake. It's a Japanese style lager, which is one of the best styles of beer to drink. When it's hot, when you're thirsty, when you're eating, when you're drinking, when you're tired, when you're rested. <laughs> <laughs> when it's night, when yeah. it's day. When you're cold, when, when you're old. When it's late, when it's early. Yeah. When you're young, when you're not as young. That's a beautiful thing. Well, we look forward to the dumplings yeah. dropping. Hey, before we go, though, uh, let's talk. I need to do a plug for your book. Where can I buy this? Oh, the book. Like yes. in, in person, not just on the internet. The book, Garden of Glass. Thank you for mentioning. I'm supposed to mention it every show. My publisher get mad at me if I yeah. don't. No, uh, shout out Stephanie. I love you. She listens to the show. The book's uh, released on November 12th. So really excited about it. We mentioned Baxter earlier, Brian Baxter, amazing chef. He did some paintings uh, for what? the book because he's this amazing painter and he's, he did some cool watercolors. Which was just perfect for the like the vibe of the book. So he did some cool watercolors for it. Jess Machin of Liquid Gold fame, our resident artist. She's at the office now working on more logos. She's done probably 64 logos, but we're still on the original one. We've showed logo number two, but she just works on logos constantly for Liquid Gold. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jess Machin did some artwork for the book, and she's amazing. And then Bryce McLeod did the cover, and he crushed it. Um, so there's, there's a really cool art component to it. And then it's, uh, it's a different kind of cocktail book where it's like, grow this, find this. If you can't use something else, it's kind of open-ended. Um, so I'm excited about it. Yeah. November 12th, it'll drop and then Amazon and then all the local bookstores will carry it. And, uh, yeah, we're getting excited. That's awesome. Yeah. Garden to glass week (laughs) on liquid gold (laughs) will consist of us forgetting to record an episode, but posting stuff on Instagram. There it is. (laughs) So yeah, <laughs> well, I'm excited. Thank you for asking. Yeah.
Well, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Your lesser half, Adam Bender, we'll throw him a shout out. Yeah, He's shout down out. the hill. He is. He's down there waving at us, throwing a Frisbee. Like, guys, will you come throw the Frisbee? No, Adam, we're busy. We're busy drinking beer, drinking sake. Thanks but thanks you. for trying. <laughs> so Kinsey Hunter from Green Pheasant, the bar manager. And as I obnoxiously mentioned so many times, the only sake sommelier in Tennessee allegedly and i feel like before we <laughs> before we go will you tell us a little bit about that that about that process because i mean it is still fascinating and super cool that that that's part of what you're bringing to the table so will you tell us a little bit about that sure yeah yeah um basically working at tutan jack for um a few years i worked there for five years i grew increasingly frustrated with even distributors people who were selling us sake not being able to answer any questions about it, not knowing anything yeah, really mm-hmm. besides, you know, the this milling rate makes it this kind of sake. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, cool, but why? And like, what? Tell me more about it. And no one actually knew. So I took it upon myself to be the one that knows that stuff. So I found, you know, I followed a bunch of sake people on Instagram and stuff like that mm-hmm. and ended up just going basically asking my bosses if they would pay for me <laughs> to take a class so that I could know more mm-hmm. um, because it was roughly when we knew Green Pheasant was going to open and I was going to move over there to be the bar manager. Yeah. Um, and they were like, yeah, definitely do that. So went up to the beautiful city of Secaucus, New Jersey. Whoa. <laughs> to take some <laughs> classes with MTC, which is Mutual Trading Company, which is a big importer of sake's. And many Japanese products, ceramics and kitchen tools and oh, wow. all that stuff. Took that class, the sake advisor course, mm-hmm. and passed it. And then a few months later, you're eligible to do the sake som exam. And you have to, is, that, is there like a tasting part of that? And Yeah, it's like a like, three part. It's like a, yeah. you know, a multiple choice and like an essay style and then a blind tasting. That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. It well, was scary. But congrats. That's, that's super also, cool. Also yeah. in New Jersey? Also in Secaucus, New Jersey, yes. <laughs> yep. So after having spent that much time in New Jersey, are you now in the mob? <laughs> yeah, uh, I was already in there. Yeah. I'm not supposed to talk about it, but... Right. Uh, Fair. Yeah. That's um, awesome. But yeah. Any day in New Jersey, I'll take. What's your favorite mob movie? <laughs> <laughs> Again, I can't talk about it. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for joining us on the epic sake episode that we recorded on Sake Day. That I'm pretty sure Byron created at six in the morning. He got up and he's like, sake day, sake day, sake day, hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. Next thing you know, everybody's jumping you do on it, it. Like every three months, too. Like, yeah. no one would know. Oh, yeah. It's going to happen like November 16th. It's probably like National Sake Day. People are like, that's a really good idea, actually. I always feel like there's like Nashville yeah. Fashion Week like <laughs> yeah. three times a year. And I'm like, what the fuck? That's the genius of it. But yeah, I think they do it every mm-hmm. season. So four times. Cool. Well, for the next so uh, National Sake Day, coming so up in two time. months, <laughs> we'll, we'll do this again. We'll do this again, and maybe it'll be cold enough where we can drink some warm sake as well, Not which is okay, idea. right? We're okay. Yeah. It's okay. Pick the right hot in a mall. <laughs> Maybe not as much, but warm with cold food is okay. That's right. But it's all okay if you want to drink sake or Japanese-style beer. And now we're lucky in Nashville to have our own homegrown Koji Gold. Congrats. Thanks for having yeah. us, guys. Super cool. Thanks, both awesome. of you. Yeah, thank you. All right. We are Liquid Gold at Liquid Gold underscore pod on Instagram. Find Proper Sake on Instagram as well. And Green Pheasant and Kinsey Hunter as well. She might have some like 
I don't know, rap album recommendations, stuff like that. Sure, yeah. Yeah, she might have some of those on Instagram. And for my partner, Mr. Kenneth Deadman. Thank you, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for the um, decent accents earlier. Brought to you by the Kevin Costner (laughs) School for Mediocre Accents. A brand new sponsor, our first sponsor. So you can look them up at Kevin Costner School of MediocreAccents.com. And we look forward to working. It's one word, one word. Um, and we look forward to working with them. Also, a real website, weownthistown.net. <laughs> <laughs> and our producer, Michael Eads, for everyone involved. Thank you, Michael. I'm Mike Thanks, Wolf. Michael. And Thanks, Michael. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Later, Tater. Later.